This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Impact Theory Podcast, your source of empowering ideas and actionable techniques from the world's highest achievers. Join host Tom Bilyeu, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of the billion-dollar brand Quest Nutrition, on a journey to unlock your potential and realize your vision of success. Welcome to Impact Theory. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a Facebook Live version of Relationship Theory. I am one of your hosts, Tom Bilyeu. And, and I'm, I'm Lisa, the wife. Yes. Yeah, so wife. welcome, welcome. So we're going to be taking your questions live. Uh, we've gotten a lot of really great feedback on Relationship Theory, which I'm really excited about. We yeah. have a lot of fun doing it. So uh, that's awesome. And it's our attempt to branch out, find out where people really want to see content from us. Um, so yeah, we'll keep doing this as long as people are enjoying it. We're in the middle of a renovation right now on our house. What you can't see just on the other side of the camera <laughs> is total mayhem, uh, plastic everywhere, dust, dirt. So if it looks a little foggy in here, I apologize. Yeah, you um, were just with a designer running around and yes. setting up. and Yes. So uh, also you may hear uh, the Wookiee monster barking because we can't lock them as far away as we normally would. Um, and you may hear the occasional pull a tape. Uh, from the couple of remaining people that aren't on break right now. So bear with us. Yeah. Uh, but she'll only be like this for a few weeks. All right. Without further ado, why don't we dive into some questions? Let's get started. Let's do so it. we're going to grab some questions from last week that we Word. didn't get around to. Um, so the first question was from YouTube, um, from Sammy Arif. Arif. Huge fan of you two. I just started dating this girl. I don't know how to articulate to her everything that I've learned from the past few episodes because my thoughts are scattered everywhere. So to keep things simple, can you please guide through the core values that I should communicate with her in order to figure out whether or not we both have growth mindsets? Consider me a young Tom who just met his Lisa. What are some things that you think of? Uh, that's amazing. So uh, the first one is going to be... It and it isn't so much identifying if you have a growth mindset, it's really identifying what the things are that are the building blocks of a growth mindset. And that really is, to me, the most important thing, because if you're gonna have a long, in fact, this really has to be answered two ways. When Lisa and I first met, it wasn't necessarily about establishing um, whether we had a growth mindset or not, it was about being aggressively who we were, mm -hmm. um, so that we weren't, like the one game we didn't play, and this is interesting, I don't know if this is amazing and we succeeded because of this, or if we succeeded in spite of this. <laughs> but at the beginning of our relationship, we actually both thought it was going to be temporary. And so she was here studying. Uh, I was only here for three a, months. An amazing teacher. Um, 
Yeah, so very short period. My visa was only here. For, I was only allowed to have a visa for three months. So, you know, my time was definitely limited. Yeah, and would you have like a month left on the clock? I had when a month left on the clock, yeah, when you asked me out. So I literally thought to myself, this is amazing. She's legally well, obligated to leave the country. You need to give a background that you were in a relationship where the woman went a little psychotic. I think that yeah. helps establish Yeah, the, I mean... Yes. So at the time, I thought I'm never getting married. It's just way too much headache. Um, I'm not a guy, as you guys know, I'm introverted. So I'm not a guy that fears being alone. In fact, that's um, it was, I was always very comfortable on my own. Um, so when we met, I thought, great, this is awesome. She's legally obligated to leave the country. This is going to be uh, a fun fling. And that'll be that. And I don't have to worry about any long tail involvement. And uh, so I think that's what you didn't even bother to put on your airs and graces. It was like, this is who I am. And yeah. And also I was trying out a new strategy. So I had had no luck with women at all growing up. Uh, I was utterly devoid of game. And this is really pre-internet. So there was nowhere to go, like, look this stuff up. Um, I think the book, The Game, had come out, but I'd never read it. I didn't even ever heard of it. Um, so the pickup culture was, I didn't know anything about it. So I would literally write poems and bring flowers on the first date, which is crazy. It's bad. Don't do that. It just does not set you up well. It does it not. Desperation. desperation. No which, question. But that's sad, right? Because women want men to be romantic. But women yet want still confident, a, tough men to be romantic. Yeah, that's what I was like. There's that like fine line between, and it's tough, right? Like the poor guys out, or guys out there, they're being romantic. They hear that that's what women want, and that yet they show up, and that's what they kind of get pushed aside for. So it's all about timing and strategy. Yes, and I don't. I, I want to get back to Sammy's yeah, question. Sorry. So um, that was the setup. I realized that I needed to be playing a different game, and so I thought, you know what? I'm going to be me. I'm going to be exactly who I am. I'm going to be confident. I'm going to fill myself with confidence. That's very important. So you want to. You don't want to be faking it. You want to actually fill yourself with confidence, which, by the way, is possible even when you're not a confident person. Um, it's a, a chemical state. And so find the things that are triggers for you, whether it's a song, whatever, but get yourself into that confident state. So I went into the date in a very confident place and just was super myself and said the things that I thought. And I thought, well, if I push her away, it is what it is. I, um, I just thought, this is me. This is what I enjoy. These are the things that are fun for me. And so I was sharing it from a place of passion and excitement. And I think that you picked up on that. And um, so, yeah, I was aggressively myself. You were aggressively yourself. And I think both during the first day, both of us were like, whoa, like this person is very, very interesting. Yeah, um, it was the way you were acting. It was like I'd never met a guy that was like that honest before. And I think that that really made a difference. Like, so, and look, I fell in that trap. I was so used to putting on airs and graces on our first date that, um, you know, like, so I'm a very picky eater. Um, push that aside. You can't <laughs> show. <laughs> this is amazing. You can't show um, that side of you. You know, don't show that you're picky. Um, you know, like the typical women things, like sip your drink, don't gulp if you're starving, still pick at it slowly, don't gobble. Like, yeah, like there's so many things that like on that first date, you feel that pressure, right? Like all these things that you think you need to be your best at and with you, because we didn't, or at least I didn't think it was going to be a permanent thing. I thought, hey, this is going to be a fun fling that I get to, you know, tell my friends back in England about, about this hot American teacher that I, you know, had a, a summer romance with. And so the, 
I didn't really put on those airs and graces because I didn't think of it as long term either. Um, and like, it's so the right thing to do. So like going back, like I would have done that on every single day, every time now, because the truth is if you're looking for that first date to turn into something, then they're going to find out the real you anyway. So why are you hiding it on your first date? Why are you hiding it at the beginning of the relationship? So, you know, as a answer to this question is like, be just aggressively you, like in every way, shape and form. And if that person doesn't like you, if that person doesn't respond to you, then that just means you found out early. All right. And so now for those really paying attention and Sammy, back to your question. So here are the two competing ideas you have to hold in your head if you really want to be successful. Um, You need to be aggressively yourself and yet you need to understand... um, the laws of attraction and they are there. And so I was very much being myself when I wrote poems and showed up with flowers. Like I wanted to make the girl feel good and that was important to me and I loved that. And if that had been a winning strategy, I would have kept doing it. But the fact that it wasn't a winning strategy was not lost on me and I realized that I had to change. But at the same time, I didn't switch over into being somebody else. I was framing myself in a different pattern of behavior. And I think that's really important to understand. So be yourself. Um, and yet be cognizant of what it takes to get somebody else attracted to you. And this is where I lose a lot of people because I very much believe that you should deal with the world the way that it is, not the way that you wish it were. And I wish it were so that women were attracted to poetry and flowers off the jump, but they're not. And so uh, abandoning that and, and filling myself up with confidence, focusing more on confidence, conveying that, projecting that, And then at the same time being myself, but you can be yourself in like this head down, feet shuffling, like you're insecure about it way, or you can the exact same traits, beliefs, all that, but presented in a way that's utterly confident, like take it or leave it and not like a dick. Like I know what people are hearing right now. Would you say that I was very warm and welcoming on our date? Yeah, 100%. I wanted to know about her. I wanted to hear what she was about. If you want to seem interesting, be interested, right? So you want to be asking questions and really listening and really trying to get to know them and find out who they are. Then, like, once you've created this space, and I always think about, with somebody new, creating a safe space, right? If you watch me interview, one of the, like a huge region of my brain from the moment they walk in the door at this house until we wrap the interview is on making them feel safe, making them understand that like, I want to get to know who you are. And so if you tell me something, maybe you don't tell other people, you're telling me that because you know, I'm not going to use it against you. And that's a huge thing. So those are three really critical things. So fill yourself up with confidence, deal with the world the way that it is, not the way that you wish it would be. Be aggressively yourself, create a safe space, don't be judgmental, like really be open to who that person is. Then at the end of the day, you guys can decide, like, is there something here? Do I click? Does, you know, was it exciting? Did I have a good time? Understanding that you're not going to walk away, at least this has never happened to me. I've never walked away from a date thinking I'm in love, ever. It was definitely not the case with us. I walked away thinking I was very attracted, that I, but I did not walk away thinking we were in love. So it's a process, right? So don't um, think, oh my God, like there has to be like all these crazy fireworks. What I knew at the end of our date was I found her very attractive uh, me- mentally and physically and that I was intrigued. I wanted to get to know her more. I thought she was very interesting um, and that I really, really enjoyed being around her. So those are like some key things then, and I can feel you have something to add, but then we'll get into the growth mindset in a second. No, continue. All right. So um, the, the growth mindset part becomes important, but I wouldn't say it's really that important right at the very beginning. In the beginning, you're just trying to get to know the person. You're trying to figure out who they are, um, if they're, if 
like I think of um, relationships as like not puzzle pieces because puzzle pieces only have very few little things. But if you look at like on a first date, you're looking to see if you're South America and Africa, right? And so enough people looked at a globe and said, hey, these really look like they pair up, but it's not perfect. There's a lot of jagged edges and stuff like that. And so that's where this notion not necessarily came from, but really sort of solidified continental drift, right? That the world is the way that it is now. It used to be Pangea, it was all together, and then it began to split apart. And so if that were true, then there should be a way to sort of put it all back together and it would fit, right? That's the beginning of a relationship. It's yeah. sort of the clumsiness of big pieces that approximate each other. But over time, you'll realize what you're actually doing is you're polishing each other to fit fucking perfectly. Mm -hmm. And so don't expect that to happen in any other process than over time. So in the beginning, big blocks, do we sort of make sense together? And then over time, you'll smooth each other out. You'll begin to like fill in all these cracks and crevices of the other person. So I think a lot of people put like way too high a like thing. We always joke, like if we could look back and see what we were like then, like I remember even now when I think back to how well we knew each other when we got married, like were we out of our minds? Like <laughs> we hardly knew each other. So it, you know, compared to where we are now. So I, I just think that's part of the game. All right. But at some point we both realized that we were both ambitious and I think ambitious tends to translate into a growth mindset because you begin to realize for me to actually accomplish my goals I have to change. I have to grow. I have to adapt. And so I'm not talking empty dreamers. I'm talking real ambition married to drive. If you have that, then you have a willingness to just ask and answer the question, what do I have to do to actually get where I want to go? And if, and now, God, like people have, you can watch this content if nothing else, but like there's so many books and there's so much information that's available now that wasn't available when we were getting together. So we had to sort of clumsy our way through this. But just understanding what a growth mindset looks like, not believing any of your talents and intelligence are fixed, that anything can be molded. Even brain plasticity is understood better today than it was back then. I remember having to take the leap of faith. I remember saying to myself, I choose to believe that brain plasticity is real. And this was before like, the science was unclear. It was like hotly debated. And I was just like, it, just, it would be so much better for me if it were real. And so I'm going to act as if. All right, that's probably enough on that question. Yeah. But Sammy, I remember reading that on Facebook or on um, YouTube. Thank you. And you know that I remember because your name is spelled S-A-M-I. So That's true. Word. All right, let's get to the next question. So um, this, was, this is from last week still. Um, and then we've got some great questions from this week. So we'll get to that. Um, well, should we, do we have questions from now? We do. Why don't we jump into those just because those people are here? All right. So this one comes from Joe Cross. Nice. Tom, do you tape? I really like this question, Joe. Tom, do you tape your intensity when you deal with Lisa? How do, do I you, taper it? Yeah. How do you treat her differently than your other business partners? Okay. Well, that's very. There's two easy. different aspects. Like obviously, you different perspectives on this. So I want yeah. you to go first, and then I'll <laughs> I'll jump in. Um. Do I taper my intensity? No, I'm more of everything with my wife than I am with anybody else. So I'm more intense. Um, I treat her like myself. And I was thinking about this yesterday for some reason. I view you as an extension of me. Mm. And so I think that's not necessarily good. And I think a lot of the problems in our relationship, I think it's necessary, but I also think that it creates problems. Mm -hmm. So part of the problem that it creates is 
you actually aren't an extension of me. And so you have your own internal life, which is very rich, does not always line up to my internal life, um, which is maybe a bit more um, cut and dry, black and white, like um, very disciplined. And so where we run into trouble is when I expect you to shut off your emotions the way that I do. And I think that gets very frustrating for you. So with my other business partners, like all being guys, we related to the world in like this just so stark, logical, like this is the way that it is. We sort of agreed on these top line ideas about how a business should be run. And then it was just, hey, does what you're saying match against that or not? Does what you're saying match against that or not? And if somebody started to bring up emotion, you'd actually get made fun of. And there was so much internal pressure amongst the three of us yeah. to not bring emotion to the table that you just didn't. Like as a, as a knee-jerk reaction, there was just no emotion. So it was always cut and dry. So I do that to you a lot and you get very frustrated when I do that. Um, certainly that's how it feels from my standpoint. But I never expected my business partners to um, be as hardcore as me. And mm. I do expect that of you. Yeah, and you also say about um, other people in general so whether it's your business partners or family or anyone like just um, accept them for who they are right? yeah I literally I don't expect anyone else in the world other than myself and my wife to have a growth mindset yeah I just don't hold them to, to that standard um, so that obviously slightly different because there's a certain push element the push pull element that mean you have was like look we need to achieve this like you need to be on board. Like we have to talk about this. We have to get through it. Like, but I wouldn't necessarily think that you would do that with Mike and Ron and, um, and those, like it's much more emotional on my part, but like it's the other little things as well. So like, I remember you would text me, like if I was asking you a question, you would text me K instead of, okay, it would be just K the letter, K. the letter K. Um, and I'm like, you can't even write the O, like, <laughs> because to me, it was like, he didn't even have time to answer. And so again, that is totally emotional. And I get that that's emotional from my perspective. And so, but it always like, just felt like so flippant. And so even though I know you didn't mean it, I just embraced it. And I, so I said to him, babe, like, can you like, when you say, okay, it just feels like you don't care. Or it's just like, it's so abrasive. And like, I know you guys all text like that, but can you just write, okay. So, you know, now it's like those little things that it's silly. It's so silly that the one, like the one letter K bothers me more than the okay. But again, I just embraced it. I was like, you know what, for whatever reason, it does. And so it bothers me. I'm just going to tell you that way you can spend another 1.1 second, you know, pressing the O and now we're good. <laughs> so it's silly again. No, but it's, but it's those little things that yeah. we, I try not to pretend. Right. And so in those moments, because I know that like sometimes you're so, am not sometimes, you're so ambitious that sometimes you put that pressure on me to get it done, figure it out. And so I accept that. And so within that, like, I just need to, yeah, find those little things that bother me and just speak up and adjust. When it comes to platforms that will help you run a business, there is no shortage of options on the market. But if you want to use the best, most advanced, and most efficient platform out there, you need to be using Shopify. For whatever and wherever you want to sell, from launching to going international, Shopify is the global commerce platform that will help you grow at every stage of your business. With award-winning customer service, the internet's highest converting checkout page, and a suite of integrated AI tools, 
tools, Shopify is your all-in-one platform to quickly and efficiently take your business to the next level. I love everything about Shopify because it makes it so easy to start, run, and grow a business. Shopify powers more than 10% of all U.S. e-commerce because businesses that want to grow quickly use Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash impact, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash impact right now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash impact. In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you want to have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need. And Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. If getting your hands dirty and taking good care of your car or cars is a passion of yours, then eBay Motors is here for the ride because I'm sure you remember when you first saw the potential in that beauty. And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly with ebay motors brake kits led headlights exhaust kits turbochargers bumpers whatever your baby needs ebay motors has it and with ebay guaranteed fit it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time or your money back plus at these prices you're burning rubber not cash keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply And I really hope that people heard that. So here's one of the, like, people will often ask me, Tom, what do you think you're best in the world at? And I don't know that I'm best in the world at anything, but the thing that is like my superpower is I always understand my motives. And even when they're ugly, even when they're impure, like I know why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I think one of the things that's really empowered us is just like she was admitting there, I'm always willing to admit to you what's driving me, even when it's not pretty. Mm -hmm. So it's like, hey, look, I'm doing this because I'm scared. Hey, look, I'm doing this because I'm insecure. Hey, the way, like I may give a big reaction and then be like, you know what? The reason that I reacted like that is because it totally makes me feel insecure. It makes me feel whatever. I'll just say it. And then it's like, 
okay, well, at least now I understand. Like, I know sort of where we're coming from, and then we can deal with the truth. And some people have heard us talk about the T argument before. Um, I'll give a very truncated version. The biggest fight that we've ever been in, or certainly at least at that time, very early in our relationship, was over a cup of tea. And at some point we realized we're not arguing about the tea. We're arguing about something else. And so now we try to never argue about the tea. We try not to argue about the straw that broke the camel's back, the thing on the surface. We try to really get to what the underlying root cause and just say it as fast as we can. Like, hey, whoa, you know, this is like that thing that's motivating me. And look, it used to take us a long time. Now we're really fucking good at it. And we'll get to that really fast. Um, and so most of our arguments like are really short-lived. Yeah. Um, and I think there's two things that go into our arguments being really short-lived. I have put an inordinate, you don't usually stay angry, and I have put an inordinate amount of energy into not staying angry. Um, so I made it a part of my identity that I just don't stay angry. I don't stay in bad moods. So if something really pisses me off, like maybe five minutes, I mean, and that like for something to have wound me up for five minutes is like gotta be just like crazy extreme. Cause normally it's like, I can get out of it right away. Um, and doing like putting effort into those sort of mechanical things, I think have really helped. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like it is, so we never started off there, right? We had to figure out those little things, those, um, you know, techniques that would get us where we needed to get. So I don't know if you remember this, but initially I bought these little coins. Yeah. The love coins. Yeah. The love coins. And it said love on it. And so I knew that one of our problems was we would get into an argument a day later, we'd realize it was so stupid and we just wasted an entire day getting mad at each other for something we could have just articulated if we were, you know, knew how to do that. So step one was I got these coins that said love on it. And so I would literally, I had a coin and he had a coin and I carried it in my purse at all times. And so I knew that if we were going for lunch or dinner or going out somewhere, this just represented like... And we even spoke about it. If I give you this coin, please know it's because I sincerely love you no matter what emotion I'm going through and no matter what um, emotion you're going through, like if we're going through an argument, this is just to signify that right now when I'm sober, and sober is in emotionally sober, that I'm completely emotionally sober. And um, so in this moment, I'm giving you this so that you know when I give it to you when we're angry and we're mad and we're fighting, I need you to remember that I really do love you. And so I think I gave it to you maybe once or twice. Um, And so that was step one of trying to actively break that cycle. Because that's the problem. So many people get into cycles and they have like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Yes, I'm sorry too. Kiss, kiss, cuddle, cuddle. And then the next day you're getting back into that same problem. So that was our thing. Like we need to break the cycle. We need to break the momentum of being in a bad mood. What are those things we could do? So the coin was one of them. And then we progressed to you writing that letter to yourself um, that you then gave to me. I had it on my phone and literally it was, hey me, it's me. Um, Know that I really love Lisa. And so it it literally was a letter to yourself. Yeah, the reason I wrote the letter to myself was when somebody upsets you, it's you usually have good reason to be upset. And it's like excuses. Once I realized Mm. excuses are deadly because they're valid, like take Blake Lieber, right? He was born without legs. So he's got an excuse not to run fast, right? Right. So, but he didn't, like that didn't appeal to him. He still wanted to run fast. And so he works with prosthetic companies and he gets the running legs and he trains his ass off. And now he's like one of the fastest human beings alive, Mm -hmm. legs or no legs. So it's like the same thing with, being hurt by somebody 
the chances are they really did something that's worthy of being hurt over. But staying pissed off about it does not serve you, right? So I hope in the gestalt of all the content that we put out, people can really begin to piece together the mindset and they'll see that it applies to every aspect of your life. So in everything that I do, including my love relationship, I'm asking, does this move me towards my goal or not? If it does, I'm going to do it. And if it doesn't, I'm going to stop doing it. And so the letter was me saying, literally, it went something like, I, the, the other person, when they upset you, they usually try to de-escalate the situation, right? But the problem is you know that they have a motive to de-escalate the situation, which is they've done something to upset you. They now feel badly about it. And so they'll do or say anything to try to not have to feel badly about it anymore. But it's really about their emotion. It's not about you. And so while that is true in some sense, they also love you. And they're probably trying to de-escalate the situation just because damn, they don't want you to feel bad. And if you could just open yourself up to that for a minute to let the, the situation be de-escalated, then you could get your chemistry normalized and you could remember, oh yeah, like we really love each other and I don't doubt that. And as long as I don't doubt that, then I probably shouldn't doubt their motives for wanting to help me recalibrate and to reconnect. And so the letter was basically saying that you Hey, me, it's me. You don't have motive. There's no reason for you to say this other than you know it'll move you towards your goals. You've wasted a lot of Saturdays being pissed off because this was when I worked an obscene amount of hours and we didn't work together. <laughs> like we didn't work together. Uh, and so literally was, I didn't see you and then I had precious little yeah, time to actually see true. you. And so I just felt like, man, this is such a waste. So yeah, that was the gist. And then in the letter, I forced myself to laugh out loud and it is shocking it is, it is chemically impossible to stay in a bad mood yeah. if you laugh out loud for like 30 seconds. It, it, your well, brain think, can't do it. Didn't we laugh it. out loud when I started reading it to you? Yeah, I mean, it, just so, the absurdity of it all. I think I only read it to you once. <laughs> once. And yeah. even that, I pulled out my phone. And it's weird, right? Because it's a letter to you to you, but I'm reading it. So it's like... And I don't know how you're going to react. Like, it's one thing to say in your sober moment, you should read this to me. Right. It's another thing in those moments where you're emotionally raw and, um, and I'm actually doing it. So, you know, I'm a bit nervous. I don't know how you're going to respond. And so I'm like, hey, me, it's me. <laughs> and just because I was nervous and ten right. we just started laughing and it kind of broke the spell immediately. No question. Um, and then the other, there's one more thing that we have done in the past to get us to shorten that time frame is um, when I say, uh, when we like, if we've argued or we're upset or something and then we walk in a room, it's like, baby! Like, it's so hard. I forgot about yeah. that. Yeah. It's so That's hard. That's an amazing technique. I totally forgot about it that. It is. So literally, it was, I'm pissed, he's pissed. Like, we've just had an argument. Now imagine, had an argument, you walk into the room together, you're both pissed, you look at each other, and you force yourself, high pitch, hands in well, the air. Well, explain what you're doing. I'm letting you know that I'm... Oh God. Right? Like, you're back. You're there. Yeah, you're excited. Yeah. Like, all of that BS is gone. Yeah. Like, you're ready to totally embody enthusiasm, upbeat, cheery. But here's the catch, man. And this was, this was tough. When one person is, like, clicked and they're there and they're back... And the other person now, when the other person walks in, you've never been more vulnerable than when you're the person that embraces like the, oh my God, it's yeah, so good to see you. Yeah. Because you sound like a total doofus if the other person is like, what are you doing? Like, I am so pissed right now and you're right. going to come in like that. Right. And so yeah. in our relationship, there was a huge responsibility 
to reciprocate. Yeah. And to be, and this is like, you've got to agree on this stuff. So if one of us like flipped the switch and walked in the room and was like, baby, it's so good. Just like the relationship pressure on the other person <laughs> yeah. to like turn on an instant. Cause you knew one day the roles were going to be reversed. Yes. And that the same with the love coin, right? That you had to receive it. The same with the letter. You had to receive it. If you then shut them down, like when you were telling this story about the love coins, I had this image of in a romantic comedy or something, or even a drama, at some point one character throws the love coin at the other, right? right. And that to me is the difference between a movie and real life. Because throwing the love coin is such a betrayal. Like it is an asshole move in the extreme. Like, and then of course you're gonna want to throw the love coin. Of course. But you can't. Like, it's like abusing the word promise. So we have two words that really, really have like massive resonance for us. I promise, which means like beyond a shadow of a doubt, I will never abuse this. Um, I promise that I didn't mean it that way or whatever, right? And the flip side of that coin, you can't ask somebody to promise every two seconds because then you bastardize it or important. You can't just always say, oh, that's important. It's important. It's important. So it's like those things really, really have to carry weight. So it requires everyone to be very respectful of the power that you have imbued that word or that coin or that letter. Like in your relationship, you have to imbue these things with importance and then be just insanely respectful of their importance. Otherwise... It, it goes away. And now the problem that other people may face that we have um, faced, we've never really kind of gone deep on it, but is when it's important to both of you and you've got conflicting it, ideas. It, it's a conflict of values. So I don't think that we've ever both said, but it's important to me too. I don't think we've ever done that. We've because, never done that, but but we have had moments of conflict of values. Yes. And it's fascinating. And there's a whole book to be written yeah. about conflict of values. Yeah, we'll go deep in that. But just in the word important, like to be honest, for me, it's the second you say it's important to me, like I don't even think about it. Like I push, if it's important to me, I push it aside. Like it's just because you never use it, like I respect that word so much. And when you say it, like it carries so much weight for me. Um, And even like things like, and we just come up with tactics um, on things like when we've got conflicting opinions, let's say the house, right? We're designing the house. We're kind of having it renovated. And so for us, it's, Okay, I'm gonna. I'm very opinionated for some of you that may already know me, um, but anyway, I'm already, I'm very opinionated. You have a very strong vision and idea, and so when it comes to things like that, sometimes we're completely on the right page or the same page, and sometimes we're on the complete opposite. Um, and we've come up again, just coming up with um, a system, a way of handling a situation, um, articulating it before you get to that point. So, for instance, the house. It's okay. What rooms to you are the most important rooms? For you emotionally and feeling you said the main space area um like the living room area and the workspace and for me it was the kitchen and our bedroom so we're like okay cool so you have final say in those areas i have final say in the bedroom bedroom and kitchen but that doesn't mean that we can't communicate right it doesn't mean that i don't have an opinion right. so then we said okay you have a chip so you can cast this chip anytime you want it's like a veto chip it's like a veto chip yeah so for instance if i want this bed and you're like, look, it's the biggest thing in our bedroom. Um, I hate the one you've chosen. I've got one veto chip. I'm going to place it on this. So that means even though I have final say of the whole room, I respect that that's something that you just can't bear to live with. So Even I think we have to write a book about this stuff. 
Like we've come we up with so many yeah. weird little tactics yeah. that have served us so insanely well. Yeah. Like the other day there was something that you wanted in the living room. Oh, it was the furniture. And I said, look, ultimately you got final say. This is my opinion. I don't feel strongly enough to put my chip down because right. I'm saving that chip for something that. And it's funny how you can almost use that as like a. All right. All right, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. Let's see if you're right. I think I even said it like yeah. that. I'm like, I think that it's going to be really cramped in here with these right. massive furniture there, but you got last say. Yeah. So, and, then, and that's when you were like, oh shit, maybe I should change yeah, my Yeah, it's opinion. true. You're like, huh, okay, well, there's, I don't have to win an argument anymore. And I think sometimes that's like why people push because it's like, well, I've got to convince you. I've got to get my way. Yeah. And then once it's like, no, 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 look, I'm just throwing, I'm just letting you know what I think. <laughs> yeah. So, but hey, it's totally on you. It can actually really diffuse the situation pretty rapidly. Yeah. Um, all right, let's get back to some questions. Let's do it. All right, this is from Joshua Martel. Our boy. Oh, I What's love up? Joshua. You're such an incredible artist, by the way. Amazing, amazing. <clears throat> okay, so he said, Tom, after... <clears throat> Excuse me. Wow, this question choked you up. I know. Thank you, Joshua. Tom, after going through two relationships that have developed me more than I could have on my own, I am now in a place where I don't feel like I am ready for anyone until I've become the pictured version of myself and a goal I have set. Do you think I'm on the right path? No. You're out of your mind. Uh, and I really hope you're still in the feed because don't is. fall into that trap. So here's the truth. You're... If you're doing it right, the picture that you have of yourself is a forever receding thing. Like there's, like imagine there's just, and if that's the camera, there's a gap between who you are and who you want to be. The gap never closes, right? So you just push it farther away. Um, and it's like how they get uh, the greyhounds to run. You know, they have the rabbit or whatever it is, the mechanical rabbit that whizzes around the track and they just chase it. That, that's the nature of being a growth mindseted person is you're always striving for more. Like by the time you get to, like I'm already way more than I would have imagined 20 years ago, right? But I'm still exactly the same distance from the person that I want to be. So you're just always, always pushing it out. So look, I don't think people need to be in a relationship. So if you're saying you don't want to be in a relationship, respect. But if you're saying, I don't want to be in a relationship until, like, I can't imagine how much more slowly I would have developed without you. So being open to welcoming somebody into your world, like, that to me is very different than saying, I'm just grooving on my alone time right now. Um, you know, respect. Like, if you say you want to be alone, I get it. And to me, literally, when I decided I was going to propose to you, I said to myself, I'm either never getting married or I'm marrying this woman. And so, yeah, I get it. People that are on their own forever, I got no beef with that. But if you're closing yourself off to it because you want to become something first, it's not the game. Hmm. So I'm going to go back to a question then that we had on um, from last week. So this question is from Romantic Beast. I really yep. like this question. How soon is the topic of money as in how much money has your partner got, mm -hmm. need to be brought up in the conversation prior to marriage? Yeah, so my answer is that I'm super not weird about this. Um, so when Lisa and I met, I was dirt poor. Um, she, you were still living with your family, so it was really about how much money your parents had. 
Um, and yeah, I had like no shame. I was just asking and yeah, I, you were really weird about I it. I was really weird. So I was so surprised you were weird about it, which I shouldn't have been by the way, cause I'm the retarded one here, but no, but um, I, I don't actually think it is. I think it's look, ultimately everyone has like their history, right? So me, when I was growing up, my dad was always like, you don't discuss money. You don't discuss money with your friends. And I think it's because, so my dad came from absolutely nothing, like poverty, tiny village nothing in the mountains. Nothing on like a whole nother level. Yeah. So because he worked so hard and had built up, um, you know, real stability, we had a lovely house. We had a house with a swimming pool, which in London was very rare. And so I think my dad was always like, you don't gloat, right? Like you don't talk about money. You don't talk about what you have. Um, just it's, it's not appropriate. Mm. So you never ask people how much they make. You literally, like I would ask my dad as a kid, like how much money he made and he would never answer. So growing up, it was always like, it was a forbidden subject. Right. So meeting you and you're just like, oh yeah, how much money? It wasn't that abrupt, but it was like, my dad was paying for me to be in LA right. and, and study. I was like, oh cool, how so much he, he give you? Yeah, <laughs> how much does he give you? And I was so horrified. And again, it's like- You were legit horrified. I was legit horrified. And I was like, well- um, I don't feel comfortable telling you. Yeah, you were was, just like, I'm not telling you that. Yeah, like I don't feel comfortable. And again, it was because I didn't want... Yeah, A, it just felt weird because no one had ever blatantly just asked me right. like I that. I was the uh, brash American. Right, you were very much the brash American. So um, we, so when we discussed it, I mean, it was... So, in, sorry, when we started then getting together and getting engaged, like we had to obviously, you know, be honest about it. But we were young, so it wasn't like this is how much income I have. But my dad had definitely helped save a bunch of money for all of us kids. Um, and so even that was like, okay, well, I have this much. And like, you were never weird about it. So I think that helped me not be weird. But I definitely had to come out of my shell to tell you how much. But then, yeah, it's kind of funny now. Oh, yeah, people, um, people think you're a gold digger. It's so sure. funny. So, yeah, everyone, when we got married, it literally, we moved countries. And so we kind of, you know, started, the money that we had was the money that we had been given from, from our wedding. But, like, that was it. So you made me dirt poor. Yes. Um, I, I was. I, my wife was very comfortable when we met. I made her poor. I made I, you clip coupons. Because here's my thing. You were, like, on going back to the original question about money, Money has nothing to do with somebody's worth right. as a person. It shouldn't affect how you feel about them, whether you're attracted to them. It was so for me, it w just wasn't taboo because I didn't think any, I didn't think that where I was in life said anything about me. Um, I felt like, look, I'm ambitious, I'm driven, like I'm gonna figure this out, I'm gonna keep working, I'm gonna go for it. And that to me, like maybe somebody gets into a growth mindset in their 30s or 40s, whatever. Right. So like I don't even correlate it with age. It's just where are you on that path? So if you decide today I'm going to have a growth mindset, well, now it's like, what are your goals and are you moving towards them? Because of my whole thing about are you doing that which moves you towards your goals? If some of your goals are financial, then you're either doing things that are going to help you get there. You're not. I think that it is a completely valid life strategy to not think about money beyond the absolute essentials and to do other things that capture your attention, make you feel most alive. I think that's a way smarter barometer. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't think it should be a big deal either way. I think um, if you're talking about marriage, 
and you don't know where the other person is financially, like you've got bigger problems in my opinion because somebody doesn't trust somebody with that information. Mm. And in the beginning, you didn't trust me with that information and it was very weird because I, I mean, this was even before you'd moved back to England. So I mean, this is like in our first month. So you have to understand, I'm asking this question at a time where even most people, I think in America would consider it a weird question. Um, And for me, it was just like a non-entity. So... Yeah, if you're talking about marriage and you're not able to talk about money, you got a problem. Yeah. That that's just the truth. And then that. also have the real deep, honest discussion about how to handle that money. So um, you know, it wasn't a big deal for me. Like I never put weight on money like that. So when we moved to America, we had big ambitions of what we were going to do. So it it was kind of fun. It's like right now we're squeezed into a one tiny little bedroom with a little kitchenette that I put in our closet. And I was absolutely like, absolutely nobody should feel bad for us. And I just you know, but like it was it was fun. It's it's fun. It's like camping. It's like giving. um, So in a way, so when we moved here, um, it was a very different lifestyle for me because I went from, you know, um, my parents to moving into a 700 square foot apartment. But it was it it was part of a bigger vision. So I didn't care. And so I found joy and fun in collecting coupons and getting excited about when I found a really good deal at a certain store. Um, and by the way, going back to that initial question, here's another um, strategy for people in relationships. We used to split our, is that where you're going? Yeah, oh, the basically we would figure out how we would handle that money. So have, is that what you're going to say? Like split spending split money? Split your spending money. Yeah, yeah. so that was, that was very important for us. And look, we didn't have much at the time, but I think just having that brutally honest upfront discussion this is whose money's what and how do you spread it out so for me and you I wasn't working I couldn't work I didn't have a social security number and so you went to work every day now is that technically then just your money or is that both of ours so we sat down and we said okay this is how much we're putting for bills this for the is record how... the answer was both of ours it was both of ours yeah. yes and but we had that discussion because for me I I didn't want to come to you asking hey can I buy this right. hey can I have this because now I really feel like I'm under your control and I didn't like that I need to be my own person And so we sat down and we said, okay, how much money do we need to pay to actually live, um, to pay all our bills? How much money do we agree on saving per month? So what percent do we want to set aside? And then how much money does that leave us? And then we split that 50-50. Because things like you wanted to buy video games. um, Back then there was um, Blockbuster video rental stores. So when we're at the Blockbuster... You know, there's different movies that we may want to watch. I may want to rent a chick flick. So if we were renting a chick flick, well, that was my spending money. And, you know, rightly so. Why should you pay for that? But to the point where, like, I still have it, like, a hand-drawn little thing from 15 years ago. And we got so nitty-gritty with, like, Cold Stone. So I'm obsessed with ice cream Cold Stone. Um, Love it, love it, love it. And so I would buy, you know, like, a freaking tub and you'd buy, like, a little pot. Um... But again, like things like that, I had my spending money. So I had, you know, $20 and you had $20. And in, you know, those three weeks or a month or whatever, I could spend it however I liked. And it gave me independence. It gave me, um, yeah, just the confidence to do like be my own person. Mm. And so whether you're coming, and we were very young. So I think 
um, we weren't like if we were to you know got together now obviously there's a whole different thing you'd have to think about about you know how much money you have and if you owned a business how much percent do they take of the business or how much rights do they have to it oh god um, we could really open a can of worms yeah. there but that's why just like being honest up front like laid it all out and you know if if they're pushing back on things that are very important to you that will just tell you early in that relationship that maybe they're not the right one god that's it now you're getting into like complicated stuff. Yeah, I mean, complicated. Com- why don't we, let's go into the next question? We could do a whole episode about you're coming in later in life. You've got a business. It's, yeah. Like, how do you treat yeah. that prenups? Like, let's ask the really hard questions. Do you do a prenup? Would Would I do one? Would you do one if we were meeting now? Like that is, and I have my answer, but yeah. Well, I mean, so, let's not derail on that. Okay, I just want to. Okay. What were you going to say? Just about impact theory. The first thing that you did when you set it up. So yeah. um, I didn't ask him. I literally didn't say anything. And I don't know if I even told you this. But anyway, you came to me and you're like, I've just set up impact theory. It's 50-50%. And the lawyers turned around to you and was like, basically, you're nuts. Like, you don't give your wife equal percent. And what did, like, what did you I say? I said, create the ultimate divorce nightmare. He actually said that to his lawyer. Answer. Yeah. Um, but A, you know me well enough that, man, that's the last thing. If anything ever happened, like, I wouldn't even, like, think about that. That mm. wouldn't be my, like, let me take everything he's got. Like, that's not in Yeah, me. so that is, that is somebody who's 16 years into a relationship saying yeah. create the ultimate divorce sure, nightmare. Sure. That is not, like, Fair play. God, here, we'll, let's really derail. If I met somebody now, I would have them sign a prenup. Yes. And with you, because of what we've been through together, you have earned half. Like just straight up. Like I feel that so to the core of my being that like to not honor that contribution in our lives up to this point. So for the first whatever eight, ten years-ish, was it me driving? Yes. But you, like that was a conscious choice that we made. That was a decision that that's how you could best serve the relationship. And then that changed over time. So it's just like, uh, you've just earned your half. And then on top of that, what it says, if I had said, <laughs> imagine, hey, baby, we set this up. And I don't even, let's say I didn't even say anything. The paperwork shows up and you're like flipping through it. Wait, I have 49% and you have 51? Yeah, yeah, baby. But you know, like that's just, it's like a legal thing and don't worry. Like that just feels like shit. Yeah. So, but I don't know if I would have thought, I wouldn't have been that bothered. Nope, you would have rolled like, with the punches. Like I so wouldn't 100% have. If I you're like, you. you have 49%, all right, cool. Yep. Because, yeah, I mean, it's it's not about the money, right? It's not about, it's just like, hey, I'm in it. Like, what? It, we're partners in this. You need me to hustle. You need me to work hard. I'm going to do it. I'm only going to do it 49%. <laughs> <laughs> that would have come up all the time. All the time. That feels like a 1% thing. Why don't you go deal with that? <laughs> that was I even tickled myself. I saw that. <laughs> That was good. Um, all right. Let's get back to some questions. Oh, dear God. I really did tickle myself on that one. Um, so. Vamping for uh, some time to find the next question, are we? I am. Let me take a drink. All right. My take tasty beverage here. Um, Do you want me to buy you some real time? All right. You got one? So let me ask a question from... Um, I can't seem to find any new ones right now. Okay. Um, so let's go to a more um, recent question. 
from Dan Bro Fitness. Dan Bro. Wouldn't be a Q&A without Dan Bro asking Truth. on Q. Like that. Nice. Um, all right, so he said, how do you overcome judgment from your girlfriend's parents? Oh, so let's God. talk about parents in this general. Is, yeah, I've got some experience on this one. Yeah. How much time do we have? 10, 10 minutes. minutes. Okay, so I'll keep this brief. This is one worth going into. Um, this is worth Judgment is a gift. Doubt is a gift. When somebody doesn't believe in you, please cherish that more than anything else in your life. Because if you are doing things right over time, the number of people that doubt you is going to go down, down, down. Remember, you need to be motivated by beauty and rage. It can't just be beauty. It's just not the way the human mind works. I think 80-20 is a good rule. 80% beauty, 20% rage. But you need people that are doubting you, hating on you, that are convinced you're never going to make it because there are going to be times where you're low on energy. And sometimes, 80% of the time, beauty is going to get you out of that. But 20% of the time, you need a swift kick in the ass. You need to get angry. You need to be upset about somebody not believing that you're going to do it. And so you can prove them wrong. And there is an intoxication to that, to knowing that I did this, even though people didn't think I could, that I found a way to believe in myself, even though I didn't have any earthly right. There was nothing in my past that would lead people to believe that I could do this, not even myself. But I choose to believe in myself and I choose to move forward. So you know my strategy. I mean, everybody with compassion and empathy. I know that they're doubting me largely because they can't see past themselves where they are today. And so they can't prognosticate somebody's future. They don't see in me what I see in me. Um, and that certainly has happened to me countless times. Your dad, who has always, always, always been kind to me, always warm, welcoming, loving, I love your father and always did, always thought he was a great person, but he definitely did not think I was the right person for you. Sure. And so that was something early that I felt lucky to have because I was like, I'm going to show this guy. Yeah, and you didn't really ever like take it personally to heart. Not at all. Like you never got upset by it. No, I loved it. It was like, oh my God, like I get a chance to, I never doubted that I could pull it off. I knew I wasn't the person I needed to be to pull it off, mm -hmm. but I was committed to becoming that person. And so I wasn't smart enough to doubt myself. And I say that tongue in cheek. I was going to say, I, I knew yeah. like, I just, I'm going to make this happen. And so having, because he was kind, that helped. It wasn't like he was a dick. He was super nice. Just like, Hey, like mm -hmm. I really want my daughter to be well taken care of. Not sure that's you. Plus I think that it, my dad's opinion or other people's opinion, because I remember like, especially when I first started dating, people are like, oh, you know, he's not the normal guy you go after. Like you had like three-year-old shoes on that you just wore every yeah, day. Yeah, so true. I really wasn't the guy um, you after. You just didn't have fashion sense. I mean, you were not the type of guy that you know, hardly ever did your hair. Yeah, um, all true. But there was just something so unique about you that I didn't care about all of that. And so I think that any doubt anyone ever had that, it maybe came from my side, right? Because I think that's important. Like, it's not just, I guess, my parents. It's like the judgment that people put on, I guess, me for being with you. Why do you like this slummy guy? Yeah. <laughs> like, but like. Yeah. Yeah. But I never doubted you. No, for sure. And so I think that that 
made a big difference, right? If I was always like, do you think you can really put it off? Put put mm. put it off. Like do you like you're dreaming a bit too much. Your heads are a bit. Your heads in the clouds. Like, what do you think? It like if I had shown doubt, I think that the judgment of my family or my friends or something would have kind of obviously affected you more. Sure. But because I was like, who cares? Like. I don't care. Like, I believe in you. I know what we're doing. Like, that's all that matters. It didn't really, yeah, have too much of an impact on you at all. So, you know, to answer this... Arrogance of belief. Yeah, to answer this question, like, as long as you have, you know, that one person that really believes in you, at least for me... um, That's the joy of a relationship. But people, like, I need everybody to hear, you need to instill in yourself the arrogance of belief. You need to be... Don't be a cocky prick, but you need to have the arrogance of belief. Now, what I mean by that is you need to believe in yourself so much. And I don't like I don't project it. I try to project humility. I try to spend time awash in humility. But I have the arrogance to believe that we can make this company bigger than Disney. Right. You have to have that arrogance like you have to believe I'm the one. Right. Because that's what people always ask. Like, who am I to do that thing? Well, who was anybody? So you have to instill that arrogance of belief to think that you can do it. Because if you don't have that, you won't go acquire the skills because you don't think you're worthy of those skills. So I just say, yep, I have the arrogance to believe that we're going to build this company up, that it's going to be that big. And I just keep acting in accordance. And I need people to hear this, man. Whether you're talking about relationships or you're talking about in business, it is the same thing. I walk into a room with the highest level executives on this fucking planet as a peer, I don't walk in and look, I've got things. Now it's people are going to say, well, of course, like you've had this huge company and you've been very successful. And so of course you walk in as a peer. How do you think I got there? Because long before I had Quest behind me, I walked into a room with the arrogance of belief. You did, yeah. And I knew, like I, I could already see where I was going to go. And because I could see it, I could fill myself with that feeling and I could walk in with that. And it's exactly the psychological trick that I played to go from writing poetry and being insecure when approaching women to literally the next day having confidence and projecting myself a certain way. And just being like, this, God, I, oh. This occupies such a huge part of my brain. I could never get to it in the last few minutes of this podcast. But Mm -hmm. like, please understand that whole notion of how you go from one minute insecure to the next, recognizing this is a strategy. And so I don't need to look historically and go, oh, it makes sense for me to feel this confident in myself. I need only accept that is how the world works. And so to have the kind of impact on somebody's neurochemistry that I want to have, I have to frame myself in a different way. Like that, being able to do that is incredibly powerful. And that's something that I've gotten very good at. Mm-hmm. All right, we probably have time for one more question. Yeah, it's. Um, I was trying to find one that is a fairly... Um, Brief. Yeah, but I can't really find one. So I guess I'll just follow up on um, Ibrahim Elgard said, um, can you talk about the moment you brought Lisa's father into Quest Nutrition? Yeah. Um, yeah. So he, the words he had said to me... So my wife warned me when I first met him, like my dad's going to ask you a lot of questions. And I met him and he hardly looked at me. He didn't ask me any questions and I felt totally dismissed. And so I was like, wow, I thought he was going to ask me all these questions. I'd never introduced any guy to him right. ever. And so here I am 21. Yeah. So I expected him to grill me. He didn't. So I knew he didn't take me seriously. He thought 
all right, this kid's going to come and go. And at that point, like I was right on the cusp of realizing that I loved you. And so it was like, I felt all these emotions and it felt like I just want to keep pursuing this. And, um, so for him not to have really bought in was like, that was a little jarring. And then, you know, flash forward a year later, we're still together. We've been doing the back and forth thing. I'm now living in London and I go to propose and, but I knew that I had to ask your father's permission, which remind us to tell that story someday, which involves a lot of running and some watermelon, another <laughs> a story for another day. And, um, he does grill me and starts asking me all these questions. And it's very clear that he doesn't want me to marry you and that he doesn't give me his blessing, which was kind of amazing and set us up perfectly. Uh, and I said, sir, I totally hear all of your concerns, but out of respect, I want to let you know in the next couple of days, I am going to ask your daughter's your daughter to marry me, please don't say anything. And they were very respectful. They did not say anything. Um, and I asked you and it was a surprise and wonderful. And in all of his questioning, he had asked me, how do you plan to take care of my daughter? Because A, I didn't have a job at the time. And the job that I knew I would have in a few months was going to be teaching. So it was like very limited financially. And from him, for him, he'd come from nothing to building this. He, you know, all for his family. So here he's thinking, there's this American, I don't know. He's not Greek Orthodox. He comes to London and he wants to whisk my daughter away. Like, uh, yeah. what's the plan? So... That's sort of hovering in the air. How are you ever going to take care of my daughter? And it hovers in the air for 12 years, something like that, as I am killing myself, trying to learn business, trying to get good, building a company, um, doing well, but like not ever clicking, wanting to get out of that. I mean, everybody knows my story, so I won't belabor the point. Then out of passion, we found Quest and it becomes something and we become fantastically wealthy. And he comes one day to see the company. Well, he hadn't come to America since we since started we the company. So, you know, the last time he came, I was still a stay-at-home wife, I, you right. know. So flash forward five years, he comes to L.A. And now we have over 300,000 square feet of warehouse and manufacturing and 1,400 employees. And, I mean, it was just insane, insane and i told him that but there's always yeah. that difference between someone hearing it and then someone seeing it for themselves right so he we're walking the production floor and there's just people and i mean hundreds of people and equipment everywhere and we're producing like 1.5 million bars a day so i mean it's just the the line after line after line of equipment and just like all this stuff coming off and i turned to him so we're on the floor hairnets the whole nine and i said andreas do you remember asking me how I was ever going to take care of your daughter? He said, yes. And I said, how am I doing? And he just cried. So he, yeah. That like even gets me emotional. It was awesome. Yeah. And he was, was like a mo he, movie he, moment. Yeah, like he patted you on your back and he was like, bravo, bravo. Like he was so proud. Mm. And so the doubt wasn't malicious. Never. Right? The doubt he had in you or the doubt he may have had in us, um, it was just a, a parents fear I think right like here's my daughter she's gonna go to America I can't protect her right. <clears throat> and you know I, I've built all this like I've really worked hard to make sure that my family's okay and now she's gonna go away and so it was so he was so proud and like he just burst into tears and put his hand on your shoulder and was so proud of you and mm. us and I remember turning around to um, my stepmom and I was like god that's 
crying and she's got all to and like she's not a teary eyed nah, person either so I was like wow they I didn't realize how emotional that they had felt and s the pride they had felt in us until that very moment and obviously seeing how hard you had worked and seeing how hard you know you've dedicated your life to us and providing and you know being like this incredible husband who is there for me forget about financial but like just supporting me um it was such a proud moment for me for him and her to see that and to see that we you know were not only just still married very very happily married and yeah all right, this is getting small. Yeah, so, sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, forgive us. Um, you asked the question, though. Uh, so I think with that, we probably have to wrap, Cindy. Yeah. We had a time? Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Relationship theory has rapidly become one of the most fun things that we do all week. So thank you guys for the interest and for joining us. We we'll are very grateful. We'll do it every Monday. And we'll do it every Monday. Yeah, That's as long the as you plan. guys want to see it. Cool. All right. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. This is a weekly show. And uh, until next time, my friends, be legendary. Peace out. Later. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now, building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.